0: Did Aemond One-Eye Targaryen, and that sapphire eye looks gorgeous, by the way, just start a war by accident? Or should we say, did Nana Vagar just start a war by accident? Oh, I just thought that was some kind of big seagull or bird or something, I don't know. It's hard to see up there with all the rain. Or was it Aurax, with the little fiery kiss that he gave Nana on the cheek there? Why couldn't these two young dragon riders keep their dragons under their control? And why can't HBO keep their upcoming episodes under their control? Hey now, we'll uh, see uh, what had happened was... Hey there, friends, welcome. It's David Lightbringer, House of Flying Dragons, now in session, and uh, please do click that thumbs up and the subscribe button if you like my content. Thank you very much, and let's start off by saying rest in peace to young Luceres Velaryon and his dragon Rx, who became the first casualties of dragon-on-dragon violence on House of the Dragon. Luke went out bravely, doing his duty, and we'll take a moment to consider his perspective leading up to the tragic mishap later in the video. But first, let's dispel any notion that this war just started because of an accident. Now, it all depends on what you mean by accident, I suppose, but most definitions I looked up involve the implication of innocence, or a lack of intent, so it's like just something that happened or an unfortunate coincidence these are the things that people mean when they talk about an accident and what we watched on episode 10 ladies and gentlemen was none of those things but rather the predictable result of putting two dragons in a chase situation that would have triggered all their combat instincts call it gross negligence with malicious intent i mean you can't use a dragon like Vegar to taunt and bully Lucerys, as Amon did, and expect that you'll have perfect control of the situation. But, of course, Aemond is the type of character to push the envelope. He tried to provoke a sword fight in the Great Hall of Storm's End, or however you want to describe him, charging at Luke and saying that he would take out his eye himself. And obviously that could have resulted in Luke's death had Lord Boros not had his guards intervene. Then in the sky, Aemond is doing more of the same, he's pushing things to the edge, scaring the ever-loving bejesus out of poor Luceres and the viewer, and all while laughing sinisterly and calling out that Luke owes him a debt. But the thing is, dragons are aggressive creatures, and they don't always obey the commands of their riders. The Targaryen dragons were, quote, bred for war, as Sir Jorah says in A Storm of Swords, and their instincts are always to attack their foe. Poor little Rax obviously had no chance at killing Vhagar, but... When chased and repeatedly strafed and cut off by the larger dragon, our eventually responded in the way that dragons do when threatened, which is by attacking. Check out these important lines from the one-book POV of someone who has ridden a dragon in A Song of Ice and Fire, and you will see what I mean. And of course, this is from Danny's last A Dance with Dragons chapter. She would have sooner returned to Meereen on dragon's wings, to be sure. But that was a desire Drogon did not seem to share. The dragonlords of old Valyria had controlled their mounts with binding spells and sorceress horns. Daenerys made do with a word and a whip. Mounted on the dragon's back, she oft felt as if she were learning to ride all over again. When she whipped her silver mare on her right flank, the mare went left, for a horse's first instinct is to flee from danger. When she laid the whip across Drogon's right side, he veered right, for a dragon's first instinct is always to attack. Sometimes it did not seem to matter where she struck him, though. Sometimes he went where he would and took her with him. Neither whip nor words could turn Drogon if he did not wish to be turned. The whip annoyed him more than it hurt him, she had come to see. His scales had grown harder than horn. And no matter how far the dragon flew each day, come nightfall, some instinct drew him home to Drogon. Dragonstone. Dragonstone, in this quote, if you recall, is just Danny's nickname for Drogon's burnt little hill that he lives on in the Dothraki Sea. So basically, Danny is saying that in addition to Drogon sometimes just ignoring her commands and doing what he wants, he also has an instinct to return to his little rock that he considers home which Danny cannot override. She can't make him go back to Marine at all, in other words. And for those who know the story of the unfortunate princess Aurea, she too was unable to control where Balerion went, even though he seemingly accepted her as his rider. The idea that we control the dragons is an illusion as Viserys said, and we can see that this idea comes straight from a song of ice and fire. George Martin also has Dalla, the wife of Mance Raider, drop that very famous line, sorcery is a sword without a hilt. There is no safe way to grasp it. And that truth applies to all forms of magic in Martin's world, which includes the dragons. They are not safe and they're never truly under control. Any attempt to ride a dragon is something of a constant wrestling match, it seems. And really, how could it be otherwise? I mean, the dragon riders aren't skin changing the dragons like the Starks do their wolves, but rather using verbal commands and tugs on the reins. Consider also that the Targaryens don't even have the binding spells and sorceress horns with which the Valyrians controlled their dragons, so. The Targaryens presumably have less control of them than the Valyrians did. Now, of course, there is certainly some level of psychic connection between dragon and dragon rider, but it is not one that subjugates the dragon's will to the rider. Rather, the bond seems to allow them to sense one another's feelings intentions and pain, such as when we saw Caraxes cry out as Daemon was struck with a flaming arrow in the Stepstones, or when we saw Cyrax crying out as Rhaenyra was having her miscarriage in Episode 10. Vhagar would have already been feeding off of Amon’s hatred of Lucerys during the chase, and that may have also contributed to Vhagar refusing to follow Amon’s verbal command, because Vhagar knows that in his heart Aemond would really like to chomp him. The other important part of this passage is Danny informing us that a dragon's first instinct is always to attack when threatened. That means that we have pretty much all the pieces that we need to understand why the dragons acted the way they did in episode 10. R-Ax was threatened repeatedly and eventually turned towards his foe and let loose with his best shot. A jet of flame aimed at Vagar's head and the vulnerable eyes. Vagar, once attacked, of course, could not be persuaded from finishing the fight because, well, that's. That's what she's here to do, right? Burn and destroy? Vagar, queen of destruction? Oh, you know the rain always makes your nana cranky? Makes these old joints ache, you understand? These dragons are bred for war, after all, and though they are trained to follow commands, they are famously not slaves, as Daenerys says. A dragon rider is at most kind of steering the dragon, not piloting it as if it were a plane. The rider will still be depending on the dragon to adjust on the fly to obstacles or foes. And of course, the dragon will do just that. Then we have the experience of the riders to consider. Aemond's claiming of Vegar was very impressive, so we know he's a skilled dragon rider, but he's never flown Vegar in a combat situation. And in fact, he actually forgot to use his Valyrian commands in the heat of battle. Instead, shouting Serve me, Vhagar, no! in the common tongue, which Don't mean a whole hill of beans. Oh, I'm sorry, Amon. I just don't understand when you use that little bird speech that you got. Aemond has also only been bonded to the monstrous Iguana Nana for the blink of an eye, really, in terms of Vagar's long life. So we shouldn't expect him to have perfect control. Especially the control that it would take to override Vagar's instincts after she's just been fire-blasted by another dragon. Well, young Aemond, you just can't be tolerating that kind of disrespect now. No, you (laughs) can't. Lucerys, meanwhile, is even younger, only 14, and he's understandably unsure of himself, as he's clearly in over his head. Certainly from the moment that we see Vegar rear her wrinkled, gargantuan head over the wall in the castle yard, if not before. Lucerys does show an impressive command of the various Valerian command words, so he's clearly been paying attention in Dragon Rider class and presumably developing his bond with Rx, but he's... He's 14, and the dragon seems to be even younger, although obviously these dragons grow slower than Danny's dragons seem to on the show. Luke and Arax were both terrified pretty much the whole time, so I don't feel like it even needs much explaining to understand why Arax eventually attacked Vagar after so many strafes. That's right, I have seen some people question why a much smaller dragon would attack a larger dragon. But I don't, because I've been chased across the floor by a 5-inch bird, so yeah. Animals don't always realize how big they are, or... How small. Now we can and should compare this inability to control their dragons on the part of Lucerys and Amond to Princess Rhaenys' extremely tight control of Melis in last week's episode. And now we can see a bit more of why they included that scene in the last episode. Rhaenys was able to command her dragon to... Break through the trap door in the floor of the dragon pit, and then hold. To approach the dais, and then hold. To roar in their faces, but not breathe fire. And then, of course, to leave when she was finished. That's very impressive control, and that's the difference between a dragon bond that's been developed for 50 years and one that's 10 years old or fewer. The personalities of the dragons and especially the riders also come into this, and we know that Rainie's has a very strong will and a clear mind. She's the queen who never was, crowned after all. And she definitely has the presence of a queen in basically every scene. It makes a lot of sense that she'd have better control of her dragon. and. I'm sure that we're supposed to notice that difference. So for example, just ask yourself what would have happened if Aemond had had Vhagar loose in the dragon pit last week? Does anyone imagine he'd have the same level of control over Vagar as Rhaenys did Melis? Probably not, and the same might even go for Aegon and Sunfire at that moment at least, with Aegon being so conflicted and so reluctant to embrace his duties, not to mention hungover. That may be why they didn't have Sunfire at Aegon's coronation. But of course, we all saw the marked shift in confidence when King Aegon felt the roar of the crowd and lifted Blackfire over his head. So I think that we should expect him and Sunfire to be fierce in battle whenever that moment comes. Alright, let's talk about the humans involved in this tragedy. The first, few, you, buddy goes, of course, to Lord Boros Baratheon, who just in case it wasn't clear, basically gave Amond the green light to go seek his vengeance in the skies. And by that I mean that Lord Boros commanded Luceres be returned to his dragon and essentially put out of the castle in the middle of the storm, and then did not in any sense try to stop Amond from chasing him. And this is a really important point, as a powerful new ally of Team Green, whom Amond was there to secure the support of, Boros absolutely had had the leverage to tell Aemond something like, don't do anything stupid, I don't support stupid causes, or whatever the Baratheon-speak version of that is. Putting Luke out in the storm with Aemond and Vagar right there was wildly irresponsible, if not malicious, and that's probably more likely to be the case. So Luceres, like I said, is obviously a very tragic character. He was already in over his head trying to be the heir to Driftmark, when he had no skill at sea and course, knew secretly that he was not of Valerion blood. You can understand why he said it should have gone to Vaymond. Vaymond is an adult, a battle-hardened sea captain, and someone who's lived his whole life on Driftmark, wearing those snappy seahorse costumes. Your heart definitely goes out to Luke, measuring himself against all that and being expected to fill the massive shoes of the sea snake. And it was a very touching moment when Rhaenyra was able to relate her own experience as a 14-year-old heir to something they weren't ready for. After this heart-to-heart, Luke bucks up a bit and bravely steps up to take on the responsibility of flying to Storm's End to secure Lord Boros's support. As old Ned Stark said, the only time you can truly be brave is when you're attempting to face your fear. And Luceres definitely does that. Here, again, he is in over his head, but does the very best that he can. Had he thought faster at Storm's End, perhaps he may have offered the possibility of betrothing one of Daemon and Rhaenyra's sons, Viserys or Aegon, to one of Lord Boros' daughters. But in all honesty, it seems like in both book and show that Boros has some kind of grudge against Rhaenyra and pretty much had already made his mind up to join the Greens. And that brings us to Aemond One-Eye, who will forever hereafter also be known as Aemond the Kinslayer. I think you can see some of that awareness dawning on him as he watches the broken remains of Arax tumble to the ground. Amond is surely recalling the restraint shown by Raines only days before, which would have been a kind of life flashes before your eyes moment for Amond and everyone else on the royal dais who spent about thirty seconds thinking they were going to become roast dragon food. Amond, being a thoughtful fellow, probably would have reflected on that decision in subsequent days, and in the moment that he's realizing that he's just killed another Targaryen prince and his dragon, Aemond knows that he's just made the opposite choice that Rhaenys did, and how that will be viewed despite his attempt to reign up Vhagar the last second. So I've already laid out that this wasn't an accident, and let me be clear, this is completely Aemon's fault, save that Boros also shares the blame for not preventing it when he could have. That is why Aemon is horrified, I think, not because he feels remorse for Luke, whom he wanted to mutilate only minutes earlier in the Hall of Storm's End, but because Aemon realizes that he's just become a Kinslayer, and that he may well have started a war before Alicent, Otto, and King Aegon want Wanted to. He knows that this is his fault, and so should we. Yes, Rx physically attacked Vagar first, after being strafed repeatedly, of course, but the situation only existed because Aimond chose to use the largest dragon in the world to bully someone, as if Vagar were an attack dog held firmly on a leash. No one has Nana on a leash, though. I mean, that's freaking Godzilla with wings. No one puts Nana on a leash. And Amond absolutely bears the responsibility for Luke's death. That's certainly how everyone in the realm will see it as well. No one is going to believe or care about, I was just trying to spook him a bit and shit happened, hey, sorry. And by the way, prediction time. I am guessing that next season, Amond will just go ahead and claimed that this was his choice in order to not look weak or like he can't control his dragon so just just guessing but we'll see we'll see you heard it here first So personally, I love this choice, or this change, if you will, in the adaptation of Fire and Blood. Which basically just tells us the results of this fight, because of course, no one but Aemond and Luke actually witnessed it. By making the situation more complex, it makes Aemond more complex. So instead of simply deciding to kill Luke with Vagar and then... Doing so proudly, even though Amond had never killed anyone before, or been in war before, mind you, he's now a much more interesting character, with room to grow into more of the hardened and ruthless figure that we know from fire and blood. I really don't think he's lost any agency, as some have suggested. I mean, he definitely provoked and caused the situation, and he will be held responsible. He bullied someone with freaking Vagar. I mean, come on! He's not off the hook here, in any sense. But he is more tragic, and to me, that's far more compelling. And thank the gods they included that sapphire eye, what a great job they did with it. Looks particularly otherish, too. Uh, 1 out of 1 stars. Now, if you happen to recall the videos I was making before the season started, particularly this Team Black or Team Green one, I did warn everyone that many or most of the main characters would probably come across as more relatable and sympathetic on the TV show than Fire and Blood paints them. Because according to Fire and Blood, basically everyone is a selfish, malevolent asshole with terrible judgment. Now everyone has their moments, of course, but it was always obvious to me that a Good adaptation of the story would look for ways to make the various key mistakes that led to war more understandable, and I think they've done an excellent job here. This is exactly the kind of shit that happens when teens bully one another. It gets out of hand, it goes further than anyone intended, and then someone gets hurt or even killed. It's very similar to what happened in the cave when Amond lost his eye, in fact. Most of all, I simply can't think of anything more fitting than this war being started by an event where two young dragon riders couldn't control their dragons. This is a major theme of the show, and that's why basically the first thing Viserys said about the dragons to Rhaenyra is that control of the dragons is an illusion. And that's also why Valeria and its doom has been a constant presence in the background of the show. The Dance of the Dragons is a war that spells the beginning of the end for House Targaryen, and it's named after a song about the Doom itself. Thus, the shadow of the Doom and of the danger of the dragons simply looms large over the story. Or as Rainey says, the stranger casts a long shadow over this family. This shadow comes along with reaching for the power of the dragons, however, which is why the Targaryens can never be free of it. At least, not until Danny and Jon use the last Targaryen dragons to free the world from the shadow of the Long Night in a dream of spring. But that's a story for another day, or for another book, or even for several other videos that I've made that you can find in the Daenerys Targaryen playlist. So cheers everyone, thanks for watching, and check out my full analysis of this episode on the live post-game breakdown stream that I did with Tim and Nettles. And I'll have another video about Rhaenyra's decision regarding going to war or not later this week.